0: From BBC Radio Scotland Bringing you the biggest names in Scottish rugby This is quite incredible Shining a light on the Scottish game This
1: is extraordinary This is the BBC Scotland rugby podcast
0: Welcome to the BBC Scotland Rugby Podcast, I'm Andy Burke and after a great week for Scotland in round one of the six nations, a victory over England, it's on to Wales in week two. But we're going to do a bit of reflection, first of all, on that famous win at Murrayfield, Tom English, we were there and what a day it was.
1: Yeah, it was. It was weird and wonderful. You know, I thought I was surprised with the way the game started and I was particularly surprised the way the second half started because Scotland were so flat, nothing was happening. But then come the hour, come the man, and Russell's play for the last 20 minutes, the authority, the way he drove his team forward, the way he drove them around the park, was absolutely exceptional. And it's worth looking at it again and again. It was just textbook. You know, it was almost like he said, right, okay, it's the last 20. Let's start to play. It's like the back nine on a Sunday at the Masters. Finn steps up and he just runs the show with some outstanding performances around him in those pivotal moments. I was just—it was a—it was a match. I think there's loads more in the Scotland team, but when you're winning and not playing particularly well, and you spend 54 seconds attacking in the opposition 22, and you still win, that's not a bad day. 54 seconds. I wonder if that's a record. And do you know who else had a blinder at the weekend?
0: Peter Wright in commentary. I was thinking about all the things he said before the game that might that might be crucial. The battle of the standoffs. Ben O'Keefe's interpretation of the scrum. And then when England scored their try, he says maybe this is what Scotland needs just to jolt them into action. And that was the way it kind of kind of panned out. So the
1: big man well, called it. The big well, the big man always calls it. <laughs> uh. I mean, whether he's right or wrong, he calls it. <laughs> it, it was just what it was fascinating to see was in those last 20, how Scotland applied the pressure and England, England folded. They made mistakes, and they're talking about George Ford. Oh, the mistake to why bring off Marcus Smith. I, I just don't think that had anything to do with it at all. Marcus Smith comes off, they're 1710. Within a minute, Finn launches the two crossfield kicks at score, an England score, a Scotland score. So I don't think, I don't think George Ford had anything to do with it. But Toji gives away a penalty. Joe Marler throws the, possibly the worst international line out I have ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Um, Toji takes Gilchrist in the air. Um, uh, you know, there's a succession, a succession of um, obviously Callan Dickey, of England mental errors um, and Scotland feeding off them in, in the most brilliant way. It was a game that threw up so many questions. I think the biggest
0: question for our uh, listening audience is those that tuned in last week would have heard Fraser Brown say how much he was looking forward to just settling down at home <laughs> and enjoying the game just nice peace and quiet away from it all. Only to them see these images of them um, right in the midst of the celebrations. Fraser Brown, explain what happened.
2: Uh, I knew, I knew it was going to be a famous victory, so I just wanted to get in on it. <laughs> uh, no, I got a message on the Wednesday night um, asking if I could go in and donate my end of my week off and go in and trade on Thursday, Friday and warm up on Saturday, which obviously I was delighted to do. So, uh, no, I think the makeup of the squad, when you have three hookers in and, and the guy that doesn't get picked. There's an exile. They get sent back on the Tuesday night. So um, there's always one of us, Steve Cherry, this week that, that has to go in and and run every single minute of training and and pre- prepare in case there's an injury. So that was me at the weekend. But uh, yeah, I was I was looking forward to watching it at home. But actually, I'm I'm pretty glad I was there because it was like as, as Tom said, it, it wasn't a brilliant game of rugby. And neither team played particularly well. But things that Scotland haven't done in the past is is when they needed to, they executed particularly an attack and, and when they needed to at the end of the game they, they kind of took the ball by the horns and just controlled that last 15 minutes and then when you got wily old guys like WP now to come on and just run the clock down and and actually what was really impressive by WP is in those last sequence of scrums you know he didn't get it all his own way and, and sometimes you see scrums and, and props in particular just bail out when when they don't get exactly what they want and and he stuck in there and he worked really hard. And then they ended up getting the reward off it because Ben O'Keefe wasn't happy with with what he was seeing. and he just went to reset, reset, and and that ended up leading to the turnover. So, uh, no, it was yeah, a different Saturday to what I'd planned, but it was quite nice to be back involved. So, no, it was good. Great to
0: have Pete Horn with us as well. Pete, you did watch
2: it from home. Uh, how did
0: you
3: enjoy it? It was great. You know, it's It's kind of one of the things that you almost... Uh, you don't realise how nice it is to just sit and watch a game in front of the telly. And like you said, you know, it's in a nice warm house. So no, it was great. I, uh, it was edgy the kind of see, I was a wee bit nervous. I'm not going to lie. I thought I was so confident going into the game where, with where we're at as a squad and, you know, where Scotland have, you know, how they've been playing in the last kind of yeah 12 to 18 months that I, I was really confident. And then, like kind of Tom alluded to earlier, when the game wasn't going that well, you kind of think you get a little bit nervous and, you know, you're, you're worried that the pressure starts to kind of build on the Scottish boys. Just with that expectation, like you said, you want to get the, the tournament off to a flyer and kind of, you know, for the last however many years, we've always kind of stumbled at that first that first hurdle, which kind of puts a big dent in your your goals. But I thought it was the, the opposite Um, yeah, like it was England that looked like they were really starting to feel the pressure, like you said, Tom, about all the the mistakes, the penalties, that was kind of so almost uncharacteristic of big players in big moments, you know, and it felt as if almost, even though it was kind of smoking mirrors with all that chat about Scotland being the massive favourites and things, I think in their camp, they'd have been fully expecting to come up, do a job, get back on the bus and get back down to England. And all of a sudden, at kind of 65, 70 minutes, it was almost like, a little bit of panic, you know, like, God, this isn't going our way. They're not even playing that well. And then, you know, you start worrying about everything instead of kind of focusing on the task at hand. So like, I was just delighted at the end. It was obviously a great start, a great start to the campaign. And it, it just puts us in such a a great position, you know, going down to Wales with our uh, sails full of wind anyway.
1: Do you know what was really, really encouraging, massively encouraging was the impact of the bench. Now we've, we've talked a lot about Scotland's depth, and it's unarguable now. I mean, it's the, the depth that Scotland have is, is ridiculous. So, so encouraging. But it's one thing to talk about the depth, and the second thing, for the depth to come on in a game like that and have such a huge, huge effect. Skooman, I thought, was brilliant when he came on. Fraser was talking about WP Nell and bringing that hard edge, that mouse. Skinner comes on. He's really, really good around the park. Steals an absolute critical line out. Ben White comes on for his first cameo and he gets on the end of that try. Bradbury comes on and is the kind of Bradbury that we want to see. So it's all those guys coming on and making a big, big impact when the pressure is really intense. I thought that was kind of the manifestation of what we've been thinking is is happening. It was there it was in front of our eyes for real Scottish depth, having a big influence and a big day. I spoke to Ben White Yesterday he was on. He was put up by
0: Scotland for their uh, their Zoom press conference, and he was still. I don't think he's come down off the ceiling yet. He just couldn't put into words what he'd experienced. I mean, can you imagine? A being named in the squad, having just come into the Scotland fold, and B getting thrown on much earlier in the game than you could have ever anticipated and see you get over for a try. And then after that, after a few minutes, you're back on the bench wondering what else just happened. Fraser, I mean, what was he like in the aftermath? He must have been in a daze.
2: Yeah, like obviously, I'd never met Ben until I went on Thursday. And uh, such a grounded guy, uh, like very nice, very level-headed, knew all of his detail. Uh, and that might sound uh, a bit obvious when you're playing an international team. But like Pete and I both know that we've played in teams with guys that don't know... What they're doing, even though we've been running it all week, so he knew all. <laughs> Them names, <Nims>. come, <laughs> come on, Fraser,
1: <laughs> <Don't be shy.
2: laughs> so he, he knew all of his detail, the the game plan, the role that he was playing. You know, he was on he was on the bench because he'd been playing that role, role for London Irish all year. he had been coming on in the last fifteen twenty minutes. He'd been seeing games out. His kicking game had been excellent. Um, good defender. Probably didn't expect to get on unless there's sort of ten minutes to go. Um. You know, Ali, Ali's played so much rugby for Scotland over the last couple of years, you know, and Glasgow. You know, he's the go-to guy. He's been playing, you know, 70 minutes every single week. So he, he probably didn't expect to get on until later in the game. But to come on, when he came on, he executed his role perfectly. To get on the end of that bit of magic from Darcy Graham, and you've got to say, like, how good is Darcy Graham, by the way? <laughs> no, um, he's, he's the guy that when you see his name on the team sheet and you're in the opposition, you're honestly, you, yeah. you've got the feedback. Um, his footwork, his pace, his power, he's so powerful. But how good was he? Uh, you know, Joe Marchant's still sitting in the stands somewhere. Um, <laughs> for Ben to come on and finish that off and then get hoiked back off two minutes later. And he's walking back to the bench and he's got a big smile on it. You know, in the middle of the test match, he's got a huge smile on his face. He can't believe the seven minutes or ten minutes of rugby he's just had. Um, and then again, to sit there for the rest of the game and come back on, and then execute his role perfectly at the end of the game. I I thought, brilliant. And then he was just so happy after the game. I think there was a clip of him when he got named in the squad. His his, his mum or his his parents that he phoned on FaceTime. And there was a clip of it doing the rounds. And you could see how much it meant to him, obviously being involved in the squad, not just the team. So I can't imagine what his parents are like on Saturday after he comes on and scores a try on debut.
3: It's almost like the best sort of, situation isn't it normally when you're on the bench regardless of how big the game is you're quite relaxed in that first half you know you're not too stressed it kind of gets to half time and then you're like oh god right here we go you know and you really start to kind of feel those nerves and things so to get kind of thrown in there it's literally like you just become so task focused don't you? you're straight and you're like right what's my job I don't have time to think about it to worry about it and I think like you said the way he handled himself in that little cameo that he had what the 15 minutes when Ali was off I think that really put trust in, you know, Gregor to, to put him back on at the end of the game when the game's on the line. And, you know, we've seen it before where Ali's kind of made for those situations, you know, closing out matches, like you said, helping Finn, you know, those two have had a great connection over the last few years. So I think it was a huge kind of moment of trust by Gregor to, to put him back out there and, and let him see out the game, yeah.
1: He looked even yesterday, lads, he looked, he still looked in the days. And he's, you know, you look at him on Zoom, it was almost like it was still about five minutes after the final whistle had gone. <laughs> it looked like he hadn't, he hadn't, still hadn't come to terms with what had happened to him, you know, which was fantastic. There was a kind of an innocence, a lovely innocence about it all, that he was just, he was so, he was so delighted at what, what, what his life has turned out like. It was amazing. He
0: said, he, said uh, he turned to one of the boys on the bench having come off after scoring the try, and one of the boys said to him, so how was that? And he said... The best 10 minutes of my life. <laughs> it's just lovely. It's, br-
1: it's brilliant to hear. I tell you, go back to the two, the two Scotland tries. And, you know, there are all sorts of different types of tries. There's a moment of brilliance. You know, the power tries, driven lineouts or whatever. I, my favourite type of try, Scotland got two of them at the weekend, whereas they just completely bamboozled the opposition. So that little moment, the quick lineout, and yeah. Mara Matoji is looking in the wrong direction. I love all that stuff. The fast the, the fast line out that Scotland pulled on Ireland a few years ago, where Ireland just had the clue what was going on. Uh, the cross-kick where Cowan Dickey is just in, this was a horrendous situation. You'd love every type of, type of Scotland try, but when the opposition is completely and visibly stunned and doesn't know what's going on, I just, I just love that. Those two tries that were majestic.
2: The first line out, obviously, it's great execution from the players, but it's actually it's great coaching. Mm. Like from Gregor and from um, AB, the, the detail that went in, um, obviously, it's from a kickoff, which is perfect. So you can have everyone in the right position that you want from the kickoff, kick to the right area, knowing they're going to kick out. You watch George Turner and the hookers, they weren't in the chase line. And they dropped about 50 metres behind the chase line so that if the box kicked it, they could be there to source the ruck. If they kicked it out, they're there straight away for the line out. So all of that little bit of detail, even Xander being the only Scotland player that's still 20 metres behind the plate, even though he knows the tempo line out and what he's meant to be doing, but he doesn't need to look because he's just run his arc to clear it. All the tiny little bits of detail that has come from the coaching staff and their preview, it, it was just, it was a brilliantly worked team try, not just the playing team, but the entire Scotland management team because the coaches had done their detail, they knew exactly what they wanted they probably ran it four or five times in a week, probably walked through it three or four times, those exact setups, but one opportunity in the game and they executed it perfectly. So I just I thought it was just a brilliantly worked
1: set move. Fraser, how how did they know? So <clears throat> Young's kicks to touch, George is on the on the spot. How does how does everybody know, all of the Scotland players, that this is the move we're gonna we're gonna play now? Because it happens so quickly. How are they all on the same same wavelength so quickly?
2: It'll be, be pre-called. So they'll, they'll literally have gone into the game saying, we're going to have one tempo line-out or maybe we'll have two in the tempo line-outs and we'll call it a one and a two. And uh, England actually ran something really similar a couple of years ago. Uh, and there's actually footage of England sprinting back and you can see George Ford holding his hand up and shouting one at everyone. And they, they run a similar type of play. So, you know, it's something that they've worked in all week and they just know that that's maybe the only time they were doing a tempo line-out in the whole game. And the only time they've done it is probably off of the kickoff because they can have everyone in the right area. They've also tracked, knowing that England England probably had a split set restart, so they got some forwards in the far side of the pitch. So it goes out. They've got to sprint over to the line and the ball's already in and away. So all you're looking for is probably four or five seconds of panic where people aren't in the right places that they normally are. And that little bit of confusion means that they overchase something the ruck, and they did. The English forwards then overfolded that centre-field rock because they weren't sure where they were meant to be. And that creates the mismatch on the short side. You know, Hoggy takes it in, pulls a toji out and puts Darcy straight to the hole. So it was just a brilliant work try. And it was just very, very good clarity and roll knowledge throughout the whole week by by everyone in that Scotland camp. And, and so much more impressive, Pete,
0: to, to execute that, given how little ball Scotland had had. The, the the clinical edge to to pull that off when they'd been on the back foot for most of the, the first half was incredible.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, test match rugby comes down to small moments in games. You know, you've got to be so clinical. I think, you know, there's not many teams in world rugby that will create more than sort of three or four chances and you've got to take them. Um, and that was what was so impressive about Scotland. You know, they 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 probably will be disappointed with how little they did create, but by god they took both their chances so well you know brilliant execution like fraz said the coaching that goes into it they'll be the coaches will be delighted um you know it's brilliant when you drop a play and you kind of you really hope it's going to work and all the little intricacies that are involved in it to then you know for finn and the boys to go out and pull it off the way they did is just yeah top class
1: you're listening to the bbc scotland rugby podcast
0: Fraser mentioned Darcy Graham. Darcy had a, a tough 2021 20, for for a lot of reasons, but his level at Test Rugby for such a small guy, we always go back to how it's a, a power game and the big guys are getting bigger and faster and stronger. And Darcy's a real throwback, but he punches so far above his weight, it's it's untrue. But he's also got such rugby intelligence and so much ability. I mean, do we now have to start thinking about this guy as being in the world-class
3: category? Oh yeah, like nothing phases him. It doesn't matter what level he plays at. You could put him in any team and he would be a standout player. You know, nothing. He's never overawed by sort of any occasion or anything. He just goes out there and, you know, is consistently brilliant, excellent in everything he does. Like you said, both sides of the ball. Um, it doesn't matter if his opposite man's a monster, you know, he'll fly in. And I think he's just like a real inspiration to to so many to Scottish kids. You know, like... He, when you watch him, you can see a bit yourself in him. You know, anyone can, you know, he's not a massive guy. doesn't have, you know, remarkable physical attributes or anything, but he, you know, he's, he works so hard on, on all of those to, to get himself into that position. And like the commitment that he has in every, every, not just every game, but like every event in a game, you know, he puts his body on the line and he's just brilliant. Like the way breaks tackles and beats people. It's 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 like a throwback to kind of years ago, right? Eh, when defenses were were poor. You know, that's how bad he he makes some guys look kind of, yeah, just like all out of sea. Like, like Fras said, I mean, Joe March's ankles are will still be broken after Darcy had a had a go at them. So no like I uh I he's certainly someone that I loved having in the team. And you know when he's on the opposition team like when we ever played against Edinburgh that you'd be like oh God like how do you how do you stop him? You know, he can beat you, he can bump you. Like, he, you know, he's just got it all.
1: I think both of the wings were world-class and are world-class at this stage. Um, and totally contrasting wings. You know, I mean, Duhan is just, he's unreal. But Darcy, like, in terms of his personality, comes across as kind of effervescent, a real positive personality to have around the place. His rugby is exceptional. The turnover at the end, I mean, I, I just kept re-watching it. It was it was hilarious. Here is the guy, the smallest guy on the pitch, and he dives in there. No regard for his own safety. We know that about him anyway. But to have so many positive um, moments in that game, I just I I think it was one of the in a in a weird type of game, I thought it was one of the best performances from a wing, a Scottish wing I have seen in years for different reasons. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Um, I've been impressed, guys, with the comments
0: coming out of the Scotland camp, both in the immediate aftermath of the game and then to the media. Yesterday, Fraser, they seem to be really not getting carried away at the moment, albeit Xander Fagerson said that some of the boys may have ripped the backside out of <laughs> it.
1: <laughs> no, no, Berkey, Berkey, come on. You're misquoting him there,
0: <laughs> Poor Hugo Monier is debut uh, presenting Rugby Special, and in the opening minute, he's scrambling, having to issue apologies. It was just quite something to see. But listen, clearly you have to enjoy these moments, Fraser, but by the same token, no- nobody's thinking the job's done. It is just one win.
2: That probably demonstrates the growth of this team over the last couple of years. Um, It is a huge to win your first game of the Six Nations. You know we spoke about it last week about how important it is and what a big achievement it is. Um, For that to be against England um, is even bigger. Like we know what Scotland England means to the wider context of the whole of the country. Um, But when you're in that bubble, we're in that camp. You know it's a a huge week, but then you you got to move on quickly. You know another massive test coming this week. Um, and you spoke, you almost have to treat it like you've got two games. You've got England, then you've got Wales. Then you can, almost, you can almost breathe. It's almost like you're holding your breath for those two weeks. You're fully in it, you're fully concentrated. And then once those two weeks are gone, then you can almost relax, drop your shoulders, breathe, and then reassess where you are. So I, I think it shows the growth that, yes, it was a, it was a fantastic achievement at the weekend. And, and boys and uh, the rest of the management, they celebrate it like they should. Um, you know, in the last, what is it, in the last five, Five years Scotland have held the Calcutta Cup four times. Yep. So, you know, in this little mini period, you know, it's an unbelievable run of results against England. Um, you know, the stats going everywhere, but the last time they won back to back Calcutta so Cups was 1984. Um, so, obviously, the media have run away with that. Obviously, what happened in 1984, but when you're in the camp as well, you can't get away from all this outside noise. So I thought it was really encouraging that they managed to pull it back. Yes, yes, it was a good achievement. Pull it back and then refocus again for next week.
0: You mentioned the the media perhaps running away with it. I was on a call yesterday. Uh, Gavin and Scott Hastings were doing a media call to promote uh, the Grand Slam dinner and they're getting the, the Grand Slam teams of 1984 and 1990 together for a charity dinner, the Grand Slam dinner. So one of the, the journals on the call asked the Hastings brothers, can Scotland now go on and win a Grand Slam? And big Gavin Hastings absolutely went to town on him. You know, <laughs> getting carried away. What are you doing? We just have to win on Saturday. You can't be going and getting ahead of yourself. I don't want to hear you mention those two words, Grand Slam. Nobody mentioned them. And I was thinking this is an odd way to promote the Grand Slam dinner if you're not allowed to say the words <laughs> Grand and Slam.
1: Fraser, <laughs> so what was it like? You were in the, in the dressing room afterwards, presumably. What were they like in there?
2: Fantastic. Changing room, to be honest, boys were delighted. Uh, management were delighted. Look, so much had gone into this week. Been a lot of pressure hyped up for this week. Internally, from, from the team's point of view, because they know how important it was to win at the weekend. But... Uh, you know, you got Eddie Jones for the first time in my whole life telling the entire world that England are underdogs going into a game. England play the All Blacks and they're not the underdogs. You know, so to say that he's coming up to Murrayfield and the England are the underdogs going in there, and I, the, I can tell you the boys in that camp absolutely loved that. They relished it. You're talking about can they handle the pressure? Can they handle it? Are they going to crumble? No, they didn't. They absolutely loved it. They hear an England team crowing about how they were going to have to come up here and beat the favourites at home. It's going to be hostile. they were like, absolutely, bring it on. So the, it was just pure joy and sort of jubilation afterwards because so much had gone into this game. Um, England and, and Eddie Jones had tried to ramp all the pressure up on them so much. And again, to not play particularly well, but to control the important moments in that game, and particularly the last 15 minutes. And as we already talked about, it, to execute the only two opportunities in the entire game, um, I, I thought they they were just delighted because that's the type of performance that you actually, you revel in as a player when, you know, you've just had to dig it out, you've gritted it out. Um, again, Finn, for 50 minutes, I thought it was just going to be one of those days for Finn. You know, they, he didn't play badly, but it, he hadn't really stood out, um, you know, and then all of a sudden, two binding bits of skill uh, for the crossfield kicks, um, you know, and, and Kevin Dickey knocks it into touch. And then all of a sudden, the very next thing they do is they, they get the ball on the halfway line, Ben goes back down the short side to Finn and Finn grubbers it through into the corner. Like the awareness, obviously they've got no hooker. That led to the <laughs> Joel Marler line-out, led to scrum, led to a penalty all of a sudden of 2017. So in the space of about four minutes, there's been a monumental swing in the game. And then Finn's got Xander up, he's got Swagger back. He's, he looks like he's in control. He looks like he's on the front foot. So, um, yeah, no, I think they would, it was just pure elation when they got into that change room because they knew they deserved it. You know, they put in a lot of hard work over the last couple of months and they they knew they'd absolutely deserved that that win. Yeah, Pete, I mean, you you played
0: outside Finn many times and, and a lot of people felt you you brought out the best in him. What have you made of his development now? He, he just seems absolutely razor sharp. And to, to produce what he did in his closing stages under that pressure was just really, really
3: special. Yeah, it was. It was world-class, like Tom kind of alluded to earlier. Like, it felt as if he was kind of like, get on my back, boys. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna carry us home here. And he did. And, you know, the thing is, I've watched a bit of his stuff over in France. There was a game against Clermont a few weeks ago where it looked like his wrestling team almost didn't get off the bus. They, you know, and then Finn just dug them out of a hole. It literally felt like he was just pulling the whole team along and he pretty much carried them single-handedly to a win there. So he... I just feel like, he, you know what he's like, he just rises to every challenge that's thrown at him and he's just getting better and better and more consistent, more mature all the time. Like he's got, obviously got all the stardust and everything that, that goes with it, all his fancy touches and things, but, you know, he's he's just a brilliant 10. You could, it doesn't matter the conditions or anything, you know, you, you're fully confident that he's going to go in and just play the game that's required to to win the match. So, no, I can't speak highly enough of Finn, you know, he's he's absolutely flying at the moment and yeah, long may that continue.
1: His game management, which people would have said but previously, you know, if Finn wasn't just, if he wasn't on superstar mode, then he was a, kind of a weakness or could be a weakness. But his game management over the past while has improved enormously. He's now a fully rounded 10, isn't he? It's not just the flamboyance, which he still has, clearly. But it's yeah. that,
3: that mouse as well. Definitely. It kind of felt like if Finn didn't, throw a fancy offload or you know a crossfield kick to win the game then he would get a hard time about it and now it's almost like people probably respect how much else he's doing in his game that you don't need to talk about him you know the fact that if he's not grabbing the headlines it's because he's just playing so well anyway you know it's just what we expect from him and like you said like I thought the game over in France as well last year like his his game management in that game as well was outstanding in really tough conditions and yeah like I, I just I actually just think he's is he's, he's developed so much on that side of the game but it's all the work he does off the field you know he's almost like a kind of secret SWAT like he, he loves being on the laptop <laughs> you know going through all it, he, he does he works really hard away from training away from you know everyone's kind of prying eyes and things but he'll uh, he'll have a great idea of the, what he wants to bring to the game, so as well as what Gregor spotted, what what ABs looked at, Finn'll have a really good understanding of what's you know what he's expecting at the weekend from the opposition, the space in the backfield, how he can shape defenses, you know, and uh, and and it's coming out in his game all the time.
1: That's 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 interesting, Pete, because I've heard that before about Finn. You know, we see Finn and he's the kind of joker and you know doing his tricks and looks like it's all a bit of a breeze and a bit of a laugh, but. But away from it all, he he works and works and works. I mean, he's very serious about his work.
3: The way that he's playing, you couldn't do that if you weren't putting the work in. Like you said, these things don't just... The way that he's shaping defences, the way he's got... You know, he knows exactly if I'm playing in here, I'll bring March um, marching over. You know, I'm going to swing back and then knock the ball through. All these things, he'll he'll have had a good idea of the way that like their back three, the the chances that he'll have to exploit them. I, re- I remember speaking to him recently about in France, quite often he said the backfields are, they're quite hard to read sometimes because they're a bit all over the place. And there was a game against Saris um, in the Champions Cup that he was playing for Racing. And he said after it, he was absolutely exhausted. And um, he said that some of the boys had been like, you know, how you barely done it. And you were in a dinner suit the whole day. And he was <laughs> like, honestly, just the, trying to pick out all the space in the backfield constantly cuz Sarries are so well organized trying to work out where space is how to manipulate their back three pull people out of position with your eyes and then put the ball in other places he was like it was exhausting you know and and I guess that just kind of shows the way he's taking his game to another level again
1: you're listening to the BBC Scotland rugby podcast
0: it was obviously a great start to the championship for Scotland. Fraser, not so much for Wales. They really, really struggled against, admittedly, a very powerful Ireland team. But but what did you make of Wales over in Dublin?
2: I can't work out if Wales played very badly or Ireland played very well or a mix of both. Um, you know, I, I thought they were lucky. You know, Ireland could have been twenty, thirty points up by half time. They, they've made a lot, obviously, about the, the people they have missing um, and they've got a massive, massive injury risk. But I just I just thought they just played poorly. I think defensively they were poor. They made bad reads, a lot of bad reads. Um, and, and Ireland are so well organised. And I think for those that have watched Leinster this year and last year, you know, they'd see the same shape coming into Ireland. You know, very, very tight running lines for the forwards and midfield. Um, a couple of those sort of deception plays with the... the of three forwards and then lifting it out of the back. Tag Farland had an unbelievable one where he's just so square and he's just no looked lifted it out of the back to Sexton, who's tucked right and behind. And Josh Adams comes flying out of line in the centres to try and hit a forward runner. Sexton takes a step into that space, brings him in, puts the forward runner through the hole. So the way that Ireland are attacking, they've got such tight lines with their runners that it's actually really difficult to defend if you're trying to watch men, which Wales are doing at the weekend because... Defenses coaches always talk about having even spacing across the pitch. You know, you want to be nice and even space so that you, there's no big obvious gaps, but when you've got forward runners that are standing right next to each other, running into the same space, a defender has to choose. Does he start tight? In which case, the space out wide, or if he starts a bit wider, as soon as he turns in to defend that second runner, then the ball at the back's on. If he stays square and shoots at the back, like Josh Adams did, all of a sudden Sexton and guys like that, they're just good enough to delay the pass and put those runners through the holes. And, um, you know, they're not looking for clean breaks all the time. They're looking for one on one tackles. They're looking to hit shoulders because that starts creating momentum. It creates these everyone talks about having a ruck under two seconds. It creates under two second rucks. And if you can stack two or three on top of each other, you'll get line breaks or you'll get penalty advantages. And I, and I think for all of Wales' problems at the weekend, in terms of who and who they didn't have available, they, they didn't defend well, they didn't look like a solid unit. And I think that, that'll be worrying for them um, because that... That's a lot more difficult to fix than just changing people into different positions and having different people available. You know, they didn't look like a solid defensive unit, um, and that, that, that knew the, the, the they were on the same page. Um, and Ireland were very good without being outstanding. They just they picked the right options. They ran their shape very well, um, and and I think the biggest thing from the Welsh point of view is they never impacted Ireland's attack. You know, they, they never really went after that attack and forced Ireland to have to rethink about how they were going to play. Everything kind of just looked a little bit like a training game for Ireland. They went through the shapes that they wanted to go through because they kept on getting rewarded. So, yeah, a very difficult day for Wales. It will be it'll be different this week, you know, back at home, um, fans in. But it looked like there's a lack of confidence there between how they're trying to defend and how they're trying to play. Um, and that that's the difficult thing to, to try and fix in, in seven days. Um, so it'll be, it'll be really interesting this week because Scotland I, I believe in, in years gone by Scotland have gone down to Wales and they've thought yeah yeah we can go and win this but they've not necessarily had the pedigree behind them and the performances and, and the victories to, to back up that mindset now Scotland are going down to Cardiff and they're thinking we don't think we can win we're going down and we're going to win you know we've beaten it we've been away at home without playing any, any rugby last year we went away to Tokenham we went away to France we won there you know, we had close games against Wales and Ireland at Murrayfield, but our mistakes cost us those games. The year before, we went across to Aviva, and we were in the game until the last 15 minutes. You know, we went and won in Wales. So they now believe they have the pedigree and performances to go down there and to win, not just we can go down there, and yes, we could win. Um, so I, I think it'll be a really interesting game this weekend.
1: There's a massive post-mortem going on in, in Wales, and, and they're all very, very concerned, and they're all saying that Wales could be in for some really bleak years. You know, they were missing 626 caps, I think it was, against, uh, against Ireland. But if you look at it, Alan jones is 36 years of age. He ain't the future. 600 um, of the caps are his, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Ken, Ken Owens is 35. Tipperich is 32. <laughs> Fallatau and Navidi are 31. John Davis, they're still talking about him. He's, he's he's almost 34. So this is these guys are coming to the end. Some of them might already be at the end, and there's not a lot coming through. They got an, their under twenties got annihilated um, on Friday. Their under twenties took a lot of bad beatings the season before as well. So they're not seeing a lot coming through. Apart from apart from one or two, they're not seeing a lot coming through. So they're 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 in a they're in a pretty bad place um, when you look at the the big picture. And so, yeah, look. Scotland should, should we'll say they we'll would use the word expectation. That's, i leave that to Eddie Jones to talk about expectation and burden of pressure. But Scotland, on paper, and in what we've seen in round one, are clearly, clearly demonstrably a better team than Wales. There's not, there's not an argument here.
0: This is sounding very much like 2018, Tom. The yeah, trick but, yeah, but, yeah, you were coming out with. It, it is,
1: it is. But <laughs> it is, yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, you'll never let me forget that. I'll never let me, I'll never let me forget that. But I confidently predicted Scotland were going to do a job against this Wales team that was missing 27 lines. And of course, we all know what happened. But they had really good players to come in in 2018. Now they don't. Now, okay, backs to the wall, home crowd. They've taken an absolute shoeing in Dublin. You would expect a response, right? And they will be. You'd have to assume Wales are going to be an awful lot better than they were. An awful lot better. But if Scotland play to form, Scotland should win this game. No, it's not as simple as that, but they should. Well, Pete,
0: tell us about playing in that principality stadium because strange things can happen. As Tom says, that all the reasons he outlined that Scotland fans should be confident of going down there and turning over Wales. But strange things happen in that stadium, don't they?
3: Yeah, especially um, to Scotland, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, like I think you've always got to beware the wounded animal. You know, you I personally never liked playing a team that were off the back of getting cuffed because you know that there'll be some soul searching, there'll be you know, we talk about crisis meetings, but there will be that sort of vibe to the start of the week, and everyone in that camp will be looking to bring an edge, show each other, show all the fans, everyone. You know that last week was a bump in the road, and you know when your pride's questioned, especially at international level, they've talked all they've talked about is physicality, how they got beat up and and things, and that's kind of a a short your pride almost as a player. You know, you you never want that to be. Um, questioned, especially on the international stage when you're playing for your country. So, Alec, I'd expect a massive reaction. I think they'll go down that route of real physicality, like trying to bring, bring that blunt edge and almost overpower us a bit more than they maybe have under PVAC in the past. But I, I just think Scotland have got all the tools to deal with that now. You know, like when was the last time you ever doubted Scotland's physicality? You know, consistently, Steve Tandy does so well. He gets them in a great mindset mindset and a good headspace to come out and, and defend well and yeah, like you said, I, I didn't think Wales played well, Ireland were, were brilliant um, that's almost the blueprint for how to attack I think at the moment, you know, the ball is never in the air, we talk about when the ball's in the air, that's defence time, you know, defenders can come up and they can come and get you uh, whereas when the ball's in, in, in the player's hands, there's so many threats and like Sexton for me I was gobsmacked at just how good he was at the weekend, I I really was. I didn't. I almost like I hate to say it. Just having I mean, just retired, I'm looking at Sexton being like, "How the hell do you do it? How do you do it?" You know, he he's uh, he's thirty six. He, what age yeah. are you? What age are you, Pete? Thirty two,
1: which is How not I old, by the way,
3: Tom. I take offense to you
2: claiming it. 32. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in in uh,
1: in in, uh, in fly half terms, it's old. In hookers terms, it's uh, it's very young. you know, thirty six. <laughs> yeah, but, God, well, I mean. He's, he's, He's four years older than you, and he's yeah. still, I mean, it is it's
3: it is remarkable. He's a freak. Sexton does so much work out the back of those forward pods, sweeping really late, that he's constantly taking defenders' eyes, which just allows those forwards to kind of poke their nose through, get a bit of momentum. And then Gibson Park, I mean, that's obviously why he's in the team. He just gets the breakdown and just whips the ball away. You know, he's never too stressed or worried about trying to do things himself. It's all about getting the ball away, playing to space, and just keeping the tempo up and once they kind of get on a roll, you think like, how do you almost stop that? Um, it was really impressive. I, I was really impressed by it.
1: You can't stop it, lads. You know, <laughs> you, can't, <laughs> you can't stop it. Thanks for turning up at the Six Nations this year, but clearly we're going to win the <laughs> uh, uh, Listen, what I, what I find, Fraser, or Pete was talking about stats and there's buckets of stat, stats knocking around. The one I find really, really interesting, and it just confirms everything we already know. Since 2020, the number of points conceded in the Six Nations. Scotland have conceded an average of 15.2 points per game in the Six Nations since 2020. That's the fewest number of points of any of the Six Nations. Ireland are at 17.9, England are 19.8, Wales 20.9, France 22. And before, and another one, a couple of seasons before Steve Tandy came in Scotland were conceding an average of 25 points per game in a six nations match. That's now down to 15, 10 point difference per game with Tandy. So while we look at Wales, we think the principality stadium and it's a, it's a graveyard for Scotland, Scotland's defense is completely different to anything we've seen for quite a while now. And even if Wales up their level considerably, and I, I suspect that they probably will. Scotland's defence is a serious defence. So Wales are going to have to be exceptional to get through it. England got one try. They got one try last season as well. Scotland do not give up three points anymore.
0: What is it about Steve Tandy, Fraser? what, What has he changed in terms of Scotland? Before he came in, it was a, you score four tries, we will try and score five. It would seem from the outside, Scotland seemed to relish defending these days how has he managed to instill that in the players
2: i think a lot of it's down to steve a lot of it's also down to gregor um you know the the 2019 world cup was a sort of a watershed moment i think for everyone involved in, in that scotland team steve, steve obviously his system everyone has analyzed the system to the nth degree now um you know particularly with you know steve going on the lions tour, there, there was so much footage so much analysis done on, on his system but uh he just instills so much confidence in the players. You know, he, he really does. Uh, you know, he, he loves what he does. Um, he's a brilliant personality. But whenever you're defending in his system, whenever you're doing training, whenever you're in a game, he gives you so much confidence that at times, you know, teams are going to get line breaks against you at times. Teams are going to get momentum against you at times. But what he has now given the players is, is that sort of mindset that that doesn't matter. We'll, we'll get back. We'll we'll scramble, he calls it hustling, um, we'll hustle and hustle and hustle for two phases, three phases, four phases if we have to. We'll do everything that we can to to get back in control of this. And then once we're back in control and our system is in control, we're going to go and hunt you down again. We're not going to sit and wait for you to play in front of us. Once we believe that we're back in control of the face play, we're going to go after you and we're going to attack you. We're going to hold you up off the ground. We're going to wrestle you. We're going to drag you left to right. If you're on the ground, we're going to jack them. we're going to counter-attack. You want to put one, maybe two attackers into clean breakdowns to give you quick ball. We're going to make sure that you're going to have to stick four guys in there just to make sure you get your ball back, not even get quick ball. So by doing that, every single player that comes into that system, they have this confidence that whenever they're in it, they can't be broken. And uh, like for me, that was just epitomised by Matt Ferguson at the weekend. Like I thought that was Matt's best game for Scotland. That's the best game he's had for Scotland. Matt has always been dynamic. He's always had good footwork, a good friend. He's always been powerful. But he's, for me, like, and I know Matt, like, he's never looked like, in test rugby, he's never looked like a completely domineering force. He's never looked like that presence on the pitch. And, you know, he's similar in stature to guys like CJ Stander. You know, CJ wasn't a big guy, but you see him on that rugby pitch in Ireland top and he looks like a big presence. You know, every contact he goes into is a big contact. And that was Matt at the weekend for me. He had some huge defensive contacts, which were momentum-changing contacts. He obviously had some big carries, but he epitomised that mindset and how Steve has instilled that into that team. And then the other part of it is, is what Gregor's done. Gregor has, has made defence the backbone to performance in Scotland. They still want to, as you can see from the, the line-out try at the weekend, they still want to play on tempo. They still want to play on top of teams. They still want to have a brilliant skill set. But everything that they have done and every bit of, performance and every outcome and every bit of success that scotland now gets is underpinned by defense you know transition attack is some of the most dangerous attack in the world because defenses are organized as soon as they turn ball over so by defending and underpinning everything with your defense you create better opportunities from your attack and there's more time and training given over to defense than ever before you know things like they have these close quarter skills they call it straight after gym sessions where you roll out the gym and you have an eight minute block where you're just working on defensive techniques so whether that's reefing drills whether that's you know holding and choking people getting your hips in or whether it's just a bit of wrestling a bit of grappling to instill that mindset that when you're in a contact situation it's time to go to work so by Gregor giving that time in his training week over to the defensive side of the game it's helped sink into the player's mindset that actually this is the important thing for why we can become successful so Steve's obviously been a huge part of that but Gregor also has taken a lot of credit in how he's allowed Steve to come in and given him the confidence and the free reign to go yeah this is your system you go and do it and, and you make us the best defence in the world.
1: You're listening to the BBC Scotland Rugby Podcast.
0: The one... Black spot, I suppose, for Scotland on the weekend. Pete uh, Jamie Ritchie uh, ruled out this weekend through injury, and he's been such a big player for Scotland in that back row in recent times. Just how big a miss will he be? And in your eyes, who's the obvious option to fill that six jersey on Saturday?
3: Yeah, oh, he'll be a big loss. I think um, Jamie kind of brings a bit of everything. He, he's he's just really, really good. I remember chatting to Mike about Mike Blair about him and. He was, yeah, he said he had a really good conversation with with Jamie about just how far he could go in the game. He was like, you know, you need to start planning for a Lions tour in a few years, you know, and you need to start changing your, your mindset, your work ethic. Everything has to be about building towards that because you are good enough. And he is absolutely, um, you know, he can do, he can kind of do everything. I mean, Thank God he didn't play 12 back in the day Um, (laughs) because, you know, he's like, he's a great footballer, you know, going forward, he's got all his skills and things, but it's all the sort of unseen stuff that, you know, the players really love, you know, that you love having a guy like him in your team because you know how much he's doing at every breakdown, how much work he's putting in, you know, his support lines and all the nitty gritty stuff. And I think he gives everyone around him a lot of confidence as well. So no, he'll definitely be a big loss, but like Tom's kind of spoken about already, like the depth in the squad now, um, you know, you can, when you do lose a player of sort of Jamie's significance, at least you've got some really willing candidates ready to come in. So the obvious choice would be Magnus Bradbury for me. Like he, he was really good off the bench at the weekend and he's having a great season. Like, it seems like Mike's kind of got the fire going in him again and he's been brilliant. Um, I'd love to see Darge involved in some capacity, whether that's on the bench and, you know potentially then Hamish could jump over to six if something was to happen there and you know Jamie and Rory sorry, could come in because um I'd love to see him on, on the international stage. He's brilliant, absolutely incredible. So uh yeah like Gregor's got a couple of you know what Gregor's like he'll uh plan it all to the look into every possible kind of situation and there's no doubt he'll he'll pick the right one.
0: Well speaking to um John Dale, the forwards coach yesterday and I think some people have maybe dismissed the notion of Rory Darge playing 6A because he's not been playing there a lot and B, he maybe doesn't offer a line-out option, but but John DL says, well, no, he's, he's perfectly capable of playing 6 he can play anywhere across the back row, he's so talented and he's done line-out stuff as well, so he maybe it was a bit of kidology, but he wasn't ruling out the, the possibility of Rory Darge being involved. Maybe it's just to keep his options open and, and throw the Welsh off, but... Uh, as, as Pete says, Fraser, there are a few options there. Sam Skinner, of course, plays a lot at six. Uh, uh, there is a decision to be made there for Gregor.
2: Yeah, I had to throw to Darje on Thursday in the, in the team in units, so best jumper in the, in the whole spot. Um, <laughs> I think Rory is a class player. Like I said it last week, I think he's an absolute class talent. If you want to put, I, I think probably what's most likely, I, you know, I'd, You put Maggie in at six and keep Matt at eight. I think, you know, Matt's been running that role for the last three weeks. Uh, He was excellent at the weekend uh, and and Magnus. Magnus is still a line-out forward. I I think Test Rugby having three genuine line-out forwards and and kind of three and a half, if if you want to put Matt in it, is is Matt. Scotland didn't launch much off of a set piece at the weekend because actually England did a good job of disrupting more and and those breakout plays. But Mm -hmm. just being able to secure the ball it's huge in Test Rugby. Being able to secure that ball means that you can play territory, it means you can play momentum. So having that extra line-out forward in the back row, I think, is big. So, so Maggie does fill that void. Magnus is also a brilliant line-out defender. The mall work, the seam splitting that he does where he's able to get between jumpers and lifters and sort of disrupt malls, you know, he's excellent at that for Edinburgh. Um you know, when, when Cockers was at Edinburgh, he worked a lot with Maggie on that and Maggie's really good at that. So he's he's a natural option, I think, to start at six with, with Matt starting at eight and leaving Sam Skinner on the bench because Sam, we already know, can cover second row, he can cover six, he can cover seven, he can probably cover eight. You know, he's done it for Exeter. So having Sam's versatile, versatility there is, is is actually a great option for Scotland. And I think that probably does open up the opportunity to put Dodge on the bench. And imagine how terrified you'd be a Welsh team trying to attack with the ball in the last 15-20 minutes with both Hamish Watson and Rury Dodge attacking your breakdowns. Matty's gone in there and won some vital turnovers as well. Um, you know, you've got George and, and Rambo, and I thought Stuart was excellent when he came on after the weekend. Actually, his his carrying was was actually so important in that last 20 minutes. You know, consistently got Scotland on the front foot. The energy he brought was excellent. So the threats, and Tom, you spoke about it earlier on about the, the depth and the threats on that bench. Well, you put Dodger on the bench and look at the threat that's coming on in the last 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and I, and I would, that's the way I would go. Um, I think, Horny, uh, as you said, Maggie's been playing brilliantly this year. Magnus this year has been the Magnus that we've always thought he could be. You know, massive presence, huge ball carrying. I think a lot of credit obviously goes to Magnus, but also goes to Mike Blair. You know, when Mike's gone out to Edinburgh and he's worked on little bits of subtlety in Magnus' carrying game, a little bit of footwork, the ability to get that ball back in two hands, get his fend out and just get over that game, like create a quick ball, rather than maybe the Magnus who saw before was there's a brick wall in front of me, I'm going to try and run through the brick wall and prove that I'm bigger than the brick wall. Well, now he sees the sort of doorway and he thinks, actually, maybe I'll step and try and get through the door first. And uh, Magnus has been playing so well, like just get him in there. Having him and Matt sort of dovetailing in that back row is, is is carrying options. And then you've got Mish as well. You know, how do you defend that? How do you defend that as a Welsh team who didn't defend well at the weekend? So, uh, yeah, I think that's the way they might go. Uh, I hope that's the way they go because I'd love to see Magnus and Matt in the same back row and I'd love to see Darge getting on the bench because I think he's just a player that's just born to play at this level.
0: Well, Tom, over and above that, you look at the, we talked about it last week, ahead of the England game, how settled the Scotland team is. And given the performance, other than the issue at six, there's not too many that you would be expecting. Now, it's Gregor. He might throw in a few curveballs, as he likes to do from time to time. But you're probably thinking
1: same again for the most part, aren't you? Yeah, probably. I was so taken with Schuman coming off the bench, but... I thought he was out, outstanding when he came on, but you probably want to keep him in that role, right? Yeah. So that's impact off the bench. The team not getting any weaker, the more substitutions are made. I mean, this is the thing. They're not get the side, the, the 50, are not getting weaker with the substitutions that are coming on. Um, I agree with Fraser about Bradbury, uh, whether it's Mike Blair, presumably it's Mike Blair, but not just technically, has he done a great job with, with Bradbury. I've always felt that there was a kind of mindset job that had to be done on Bradbury as well. Someone is doing it. Obviously Bradbury ultimately takes all the credit because he's having a storming season. I would presume he'll come in at six. I would love to see Darge coming off the bench for all the reasons that Fraser has said. Um, is there a debate at 12? Um, I, would, I, would, I would go with Johnson again, but Redpath, we know what Gregor thinks of, of Redpath. Is he ready? Would it be unfair on Johnson, lads, Pete? What do you think? Would you go with Sam again? It was tough on Sammy coming off in a game where, you know, he didn't really get a chance to
3: kind of bring his qualities into the game, you know, is his sort of his ball carry and that punch that he brings on the ball. And but he he barely put a foot wrong, you know, he'd just kind of he'd done his job, he he worked hard and and got through a lot of work. So um, I did. I, I thought Sione when he came on looked destructive. He looked powerful. He looked good on the ball, and you know that's a lot of that's to do with kind of game flow. You know the way that the game kind of that last twenty minutes. Sione got on the ball a few times, but he came up with some really good carry and he looked dynamic. And yeah, look, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's a decision that I uh, I wouldn't want to have to make. I think Sione obviously went really well over in Connaught as well the week before. I'd be reluctant to put Redpath straight in. Almost, if it ain't broke, don't don't fix it. You never know. He might. He brings a bit of versatility, obviously, and he's clearly a, a classy operator. So, yeah, you know, you can never look past what Gregor's going to do. He'll have a, a better idea than anyone. You know, he'll have looked into absolutely everything. It will be well planned and well thought out. Whatever happens,
0: the team and the coaches aren't getting carried away. Pete and uh, Gavin Hastings has warned us all not to be getting carried away. But can we get? Um, can we be getting a bit excited about this now? Going down to Cardiff, do you think? Scotland are are ready to go down
3: there and and make it two from two? I'm getting excited anyway. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) 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 No, I I definitely am. And you know what? It was great to hear, Tom, that you are saying Ben's still smiling and things because so often it's lost. I'm certainly guilty of it. Every time you had a big win, You'd enjoy it for that evening, maybe a bit in the morning, and then it was literally on to the next job and you know you don't really have time to reflect and really enjoy and savor that so it's great to hear that he's still smiling and things and hopefully that'll really transfer into their training so you'd imagine Scotland will be you know training will have that that excitement that edge they'll just be desperate to get out when things are going well you just can't wait to play again and I fully expect to see that i I'm really hopeful that from the first whistle, Scotland looked like the team that are excited about winning a, a championship. They're not a team that's worried about, you know, all the kind of external pressure and things that potentially Wales are under. So as long as they, yeah, I, I don't want to, them to kind of weather a storm, if you like, of that first 10 minutes, that backlash from Wales. You want to see them go out there and just take it to the Welsh team. And uh, I fully expect them to do that.
0: Will have you been watching the game, Fraser, from home? from the coach's box, starting at Hooker. I'll be, watching <laughs> <his it guessing.
2: laughs> I'll be watching it from home. We've got Munster on Friday night at Scotston, um, which is a huge game for us. So I'll be hopefully involved in that and then put my feet up on Saturday and watching it at home.
0: Good man. And Tom, yeah. we had a great time for our uh, first rugby breakfast show on Saturday with Brian Moore and John Barclay. And uh, we're heading to St Peter's Rugby Club in Cardiff for round two.
1: Yeah, more, more of the same. Um, uh, clearly, you know, the breakfast show is, uh, is a good-look omen for the Scotland team, so hopefully we can make it two out of two uh, on Saturday. It was great fun with Brian Moore and John Barkley. We've got great guests at the weekend as well. Um, great energy, music, a lot of laughs, some good stories, and hopefully a Scotland win. I'm not going to predict the Scotland win, but when I see what the Welsh journalists are predicting as their starting lineup, a, a recast midfield with Tompkins and Halaholo, Adams back on the wing, maybe Dowie Lake coming in for Elias at Hooker, maybe Ross Moriarty coming in for Ellis Jenkins at six. It doesn't scare me. I know I've said this before, but it's not like Alan jones is coming back in or Tipperidge or Owens or or George North, Faletow. You're not getting that caliber, caliber of player coming back in. So I'm hopeful. I'll leave it at that, hopeful let's get excited why not
0: (laughs) we don't often get the chance let's make the most of it yeah scotland heading down to wales The Rugby breakfast show will be on from 10 o'clock on radio scotland on digital 810 medium wave and at our website and of course we'll have full live commentary of wales versus scotland round two of the six nations can't wait for it but for now thanks for listening
1: You're listening to the BBC Scotland Rugby Podcast.